The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me in 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy. This morning we start a study of this letter. 1 Timothy is is a a part of a genre of (coughs) Scripture known as the pastoral epistles. Pastoral epistles consist of the letters written by Paul to some local pastors. It's the first and second letters to Timothy and his letter to Titus. There are, there are three pastoral epistles. And so this morning we'll begin our, our study for, for the first time as a congregation of any of the, the pastoral epistles. These letters are written according to Paul for the building up of the church through a, a proper practice, a proper behavior. This is Paul's heartbeat as he writes these letters to these pastors that their churches be healthy, God-glorifying congregations. The, this, is, this is seen, this, this purpose is seen, especially made clear in 1 Timothy <laughs> Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, just a way of understanding the Scriptures, if you ever see that kind of language, I'm writing these things to you so that you can sort of count on that this is the purpose behind the letter. So this is the whole reason why Paul is, is writing 1 Timothy and, and really all of the pastoral epistles. I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is Paul's purpose behind writing this letter. And Paul is putting down on paper what he has given his life to as central in these letters. And that is the gospel and the local church. That's that's the focus of the letter of, of 1 Timothy. And it's, it is the gospel and it is the building up of the local church that Paul has given his life to. He has poured out his life in planting local tr- churches, instructing local churches. Why? Why has Paul given his life to this endeavor? Well, the reason is because the local church is the household of God. The local church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. And so the the local church should 
stand central to what God is doing here in building His kingdom on this earth. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, who he defines as his true son in the faith. And specifically here, he's writing to Timothy, encouraging him to hang in there. To hang in there. Paul Paul will go on to say to Timothy, Timothy, wage the good warfare or fight the good fight. Hold on to the faith and to a good conscience, Timothy. Don't give in. Don't give up. Fight the good fight so that the church would be healthy and built up, God-glorifying, so that we should know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That's, that's the purpose behind this letter. So this morning, if you would, look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1 down to verse 7. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of our God, of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Paul begins his letter to Timothy by arguing to authority. This is common with Paul, and it's, it's important. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul begins by arguing to an authority, arguing for authority, that, that he, Paul, was made an apostle by... The command of God made an apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God. Now, now we know Paul's story. They would have known Paul's story. Paul, a persecutor of the church, one who was actively engaged in pursuing those who follow Christ so that he could uh, imprison them, was on his way to do so and was confronted by the risen victorious, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, blinded there by His radiant glory and called by 
God Himself to be an apostle to the local church. And that command, that calling of God, carries with it the very weight and authority of God. Because this command of God on His life comes from our ultimate authority, the command of God. So what what Paul is, is saying to Timothy and what Paul is saying to you and what Paul is saying to me is that these words that we are um, preparing to hear this morning in the, the Scriptures, that we will prepare to hear as we walk through First Timothy, as we prepare to hear every week, no matter where we are in the Scriptures, they carry with them all the authority of God Himself. Paul says, He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Made so by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You see, more than just setting before us and setting before Timothy this authority, in this greeting that Paul writes, what what he is doing is he is setting before us the gospel. Because it is the gospel that is primary to Paul. That's what's found in in this introductory greeting, this introductory phrase. No word of Scripture is a throwaway word. Every word matters. Every phrase matters. And that is certainly true here. The glories of the gospel are on display. As Paul says, he's been made an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God God who is our Savior and Jesus Christ who is our hope. This is the good news of the gospel. John Stott says it this way, that Paul locates his apostleship in a historical context whose beginning was that saving activity of God, our Savior, in the birth of death, and resurrection of Jesus, and whose culmination will be Christ Jesus, our hope. His personal and glorious coming, which is the object of our Christian hope and will bring down the curtain on the historical process. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Timothy... I've been made an apostle by the command of God. And so these words to you carry along with it all of the authority of God because He made me an apostle according to the good news of the gospel that God had saved him and that Christ Jesus is now His only hope. This is the good news of the gospel that God can save us in our sins. No work we've done, no gift we give brings this salvation, no recitation of the truth, no depth of sincerity. God saves us according to His grace, and we have great hope in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is life for Paul. The gospel is central For Paul. And it is from the gospel that this love for Timothy and the local church flows. 
It's out of the gospel. It's out of this saving God and this hope in Christ that this love for Paul and the local church flows. And as I just, I read this greeting, I just had to stop and ask myself, God, is this so in my heart? And I hope you would stop and ask it in yours. Is it so in your heart? Has the gospel so captivated you that that God would save us and give us this everlasting living hope in Jesus Christ that it would cause us to just overflow in love for the local church and for our, our brothers and sisters? And so he writes in verse 2 to Timothy... My true child in the faith. My true child in the faith. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a lot we know about Timothy. One thing we know about Timothy that's unique in in some ways about Timothy. Is that going to bother you guys all morning? It's bothered me. It's going to be a little awkward to unplug it or turn it off, but let's do it. Sweet. Thank you. We've had some issues with that projector. Maybe time to either get the squirrels out of the attic or buy a new one. I'm not sure which one. Or both. It's highly possible. <coughs> We know some things about Timothy. One thing we know about him is that he is a a product of a Jew and a Gentile marriage. His mother was a Jew and his father was a pagan, was a Gentile. And they lived, Timothy lived in a pagan city, the pagan city of Lystra. And it was certainly there that Paul met Timothy. And probably so that Timothy heard the gospel, preached, and came to faith with his mother and his his grandmother and were instrumental in the planting of, of churches. During Paul's second missionary journey, he invited Timothy to join him. So it was there in Lystra, from there on his second missionary journey, that Timothy became this companion of of Paul's. This is told to us in Acts chapter 16. It reads that when Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. So Timothy becomes Paul's companion. 
It's clear that Timothy was a, a young man at this time as he accompanies Paul here during his second missionary journey. And he's even a young man here as Paul writes this letter to him. Because you, you may know here in 1 Timothy, Paul writes to him and says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Timothy probably is at this point in his 30s. Now that did not seem young to me, but it is beginning to. So together, Paul and Timothy traveled. They made their way to Thessalonica, to Corinth, and to Jerusalem. And it was Timothy who was there at Paul's side when he was imprisoned in Rome. Together, Paul and Timothy collaborated, though Paul primarily, to write six books of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. And Timothy now, at this point in his life, when this letter was written, Timothy is the pastor of a local church that Paul planted in the city of Ephesus. You see, this is why Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith. Because Paul had, had taken him in and had poured his life into him and discipled him. And he watched firsthand, though Timothy was well spoken of, he watched firsthand as Timothy developed and grew into an elder and a, a pastor. Church, this is the picture of discipleship. This is what discipleship looks like. Now I know that we are not Paul's. Not one of us in here. And, and I know that the reality is that, that maybe we're not going to disciple someone, come alongside of someone who's going to one day go on to, to pastor a church somewhere, though you might. But church, this kind of life, a life that is captivate, captivated by the gospel, that pushes us to love the local church and to love others and to pour our lives out into others and to disciple others. This is the kind of life that God expects from us. He doesn't just expect it from the Pauls. He expects it from every single one of us. All of us are called to what? To go and make Disciples of all nations. All of us are called to this task. This is how the gospel propagates. And this is how the church grows. Through individual Christians pouring their lives into others. And so my question for you and my question for myself is, do we live this kind of way? Is there a person or people that you have, have poured your life into? Well, some of you might be saying, well, Jason, man, I'm no Paul. I'm no Paul. 
I, I don't know that I can, I can do that. I don't think that, that I know enough. I don't think that I have done enough. Well, my question to you would be, do you know Christ Jesus as Savior and hope? Have you received the gospel? Because if you have, if you know him and if you have received the gospel, then with the gospel, you have received the very living spirit of God to guide you and his word to give you knowledge. Here's what I've come to learn about discipleship. That our unwillingness to disciple others says more about what we think about God than what we think about ourselves. Here's what I mean by that. We, we come to this and we see before us this picture of discipleship and we think, I can't do that. And so what we think we're saying is this statement about us. But what we're really saying is a statement about God, because the question isn't, do you think you can do it? The question is, do you think God can do it through you? That's the question. What we have to do is to be so captivated by the gospel that we're willing and eager out of a stewardship of love to pour our lives into others for the sake of the gospel and the growth of the church. By God's grace, I, I had a man who discipled me and poured his life into me. He's still my best friend to this day. I promise you, when he met me, I was even more questionable than I am now. <laughs> and he has walked with me and been patient with me and cared for me and discipled me. He showed me how to do it to others. Are you willing to live this kind of life? This is what it looks like so that you can say, you are my true child in the faith. Well, Paul greets Timothy with a unique greeting here. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, peace. This is interesting because this greeting of grace, charis, is a, is a, it's a uniquely Greek greeting. So you have this, this Greek greeting of grace. We also have a, a uniquely Jewish greeting of peace. Shalom. Peace. But then there's this third, which is mercy. So I, it's, it's, it's interesting. Paul, Paul writing to this true child of the faith with a, a Greek father and a Jewish mother who is now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sort of makes this brand new, unique greeting to say, grace to you, peace to you, and mercy that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after this greeting, Paul gets right into it. Right into why it is that Paul's writing this 
letter to him, and it is centered around this church in Ephesus. Timothy is pastoring this church in Ephesus, and there's some issues here that Timothy needs some instruction on how to deal with and some encouragement to to see through it. And so he writes in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. I think it's probably helpful to orient ourselves here as to what's going on in 1 Timothy by looking at Paul's words while he was there in Ephesus to the elders at Ephesus before he left them. Because that sort of sets the context for what he's writing to Timothy about. This is found in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained by His own blood. This is a a sober warning here from Paul. Why? Because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away these disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This was Paul's warning to the elders in Ephesus of those who would be coming. Now it is some five years later that Paul is writing to Timothy, who he's left there in Ephesus, to protect the church and to deal with the problem there of these wolves among the sheep. They have come, just as Paul said they would. And so his instructions are the book of 1 Timothy. That's that's what this this is. It's this letter to Timothy because of this issue. And so he writes, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge or command certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. You see, certain men were there among the church teaching false doctrine. Okay? Once again... Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. That's, that's at the heart of the issue here. Doctrine matters. What is taught, what is, what is um, preached and proclaimed by, by elders matters. And so there were certain men here who were teaching false doctrine. They're unnamed here. Paul never names them really, but they would have been known by Timothy. They would have been known by the church there. Here's the the scary part of it, is that these wolves were most likely, it seems, by every indication, they were elders in the church. He's writing to these elders that they are coming out from among you. He says here they're, they're, they're actively engaged in the teaching ministry of the church, which is the ministry of the elders. They are, they are teachers of the law, he says, that are 
arisen from among them. And so there, because of that, there is much in this letter about elders. Who they should be and what they should, should do because they, they had an elder problem here. They had a leadership problem. And it's stemmed from a doctrine problem. They were teaching, Paul says, a different doctrine. A different doctrine. He goes on to say that they have devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Myths and endless genealogies. Now, we don't know specifically what these were. They would have known. We don't know. But whatever form they took, they were contrary to the sound doctrine of the apostles. They went against what Paul had taught them, what the apostles had taught them. Remember, Paul, I've been commanded, I've been made an apostle by God. Therefore, what I've taught you is authoritative. It is right. It is true. But these men have come in and they are teaching you something different. Something that's taking the form of myth within genealogies. We do know that whatever these myths and genealogies were, they had some some grounding in Judaism. And the way we know that is from verse 7, that they desired to be teachers of the law of the Old Testament. And so some commentators suggest that these myths and genealogies had to do with some strange interpretations of the Old Testament. And that they centered most likely on the pedigree or the genealogies of the patriarchs. Do you know that there are books that have lasted even today, which have these kinds of things in it? There's a book called the Book of Jubilee. That is a retelling of the Bible from creation to Noah. And it's full of all sorts of fanciful, extra-biblical details of the people who lived between creation and Noah. There's also another book called The Biblical Antiquities of Philo. It does the same thing. It retells the, the Scriptures going from creation all the way to Solomon. And they're just full of all these fanciful stories and, and, and ideas and myths. These, these books were, were both written in the 100 A.D.s. It's, it's not very far removed from what's happening here in the church at Ephesus. Maybe a, a generation or two. So... Whatever it is that these men are teaching, they're they're taking the Old Testament and they're just sort of twisting it and adding to it and making things up. And they're basically, they're speculators. They're just speculating as to what the Word of God says. They're looking to go deeper than what's given here so that they would be seen as clever or intelligent. But in reality, they were calling all sorts of things into question and they were taking people away from the gospel. That's what they're doing in this different doctrine. That's what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. Certain peoples, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. They desire to be teachers of the law without 
understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. That their teaching was promoting speculations. Church, this is not just an Ephesus problem. This is a today problem. There's lots of brothers and sisters, unfortunately, that are filling pulpits all over and they're just flat making stuff up. And they're claiming some special and deep revelation and, and knowledge and they're just speculators. They're twisting the Word of God and they're dragging people away into myths and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul says that rather than promoting these speculations, that we are to be focused on a stewardship from God that is by faith. You see it there in verse 4. In order to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which were promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. This phrase, the stewardship of God that is by faith, is is interesting. This word stewardship here carries with it the the meaning of um, the management of a household or the affairs of a household. It means the management of, of property that belongs to someone else. This stewardship from God that is by faith is the, is the right handling of things. Instead of promoting these speculations, Timothy, brother, you and, and your church there at Ephesus, you must be handling rightly the things of God of faith. Here, it's both doctrine, the right handling of doctrine and the right handling of the household of God. And proper behavior because these things both come from God by faith. They come from God by faith. They don't come by some strange teaching or insight. They come by faith. And so we should be good stewards of that which is from God by faith. That's that's Paul's point. So here's the question. This is a question I want to ask myself when I come to this verse. And I read it. And I say we we need to be in the business of this stewardship from God that is by faith. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be good stewards of what is from God that is ours by faith? Well, verse 5 tells us what that looks like. That the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. I was writing to Timothy and saying, Brother, I left you there. I warned you. There are those that are coming in. They're wolves. They're going to teach them different doctrines. They're leading people astray into these genealogies and these myths. But you, brother, 
You be a good steward of what is from God by faith, which you receive from God by faith. You be a good steward of the gospel. You be a good steward of the doctrine. You be a good steward of the household of God. And it should come from a charge. From a charge. There's, there's, there's some parallelism in, in language here. I hope you see it. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And then here, the aim of our charge. All right, so how do we charge them? How do we be good stewards of the household of, of God and what comes by faith? The aim of our charge, the goal of our charge, the point of our charge is... Love. It's love. It's love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So this is it. Here I think we can put it all together, hopefully, by saying that Paul, an apostle by the command of God through the gospel, is writing to Timothy, who was left at Ephesus, to serve the church there against these speculators. And he's writing to him to say, Timothy, keep strong, fight the good fight against these who do not steward well the household of God or doctrine. But you, Timothy, you steward well as an elder with a strong charge of love. Love, Timothy. Timothy, you, brother, you love the church there. You serve the church out of love for them. A love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is held up against these false teachers. They don't have a pure heart. Their their heart, the the heart of the false teacher, is to be glorified as someone who has this deep, profound truth that's remained unseen, but now they've received this revelation and they've seen it, and so follow them. That's not a pure heart. Timothy, you have a, a pure heart, one of love. You have a good, clean, clear conscience before God. That is right motives. You have a sincere faith. It all expresses itself outwardly in love. Don't have a heart like those who teach these things to be seen as wise. You love pure heart, good conscience, and a real and de- Deep and sincere faith. A sincere conviction of truth. Timothy, you love them. This is where he's going. Timothy, you love them by giving them the truth. Because there are those who are not. But you love them and you love them well by giving them the truth. So if we're going to put, we're going to look at this book together. This is all just by way of introduction to our series. If we're going to look at this book together as instruction for us here at Christ Central Church, then hopefully this is what we should come away with. That we should say that we should, like the Apostle Paul, be engaged in the discipleship of others out of love and out of love for them, serve them with a sincere conviction of the truth. 
That's what Paul's calling Timothy to. That's what God is calling us to. To pour our lives into others for their good and their discipleship and to do it out of a love for them and out of love serve them with a sincere conviction of the truth. That's what God has called every single one of us to. Now it should, by God's grace, because we need it, it should start with the elders, work its way through. This is what God has called us to. To love. To a charge that comes from love. That's born out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Do you love the gospel that way? Do you love the local church that way? Do you love your fellow believer that way? Do you have a love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith? This is how we together build a healthy church for the glory of God. Father, would you help us in this endeavor? It is far more difficult than any of us can do on our own. I know my own heart, Lord. And I, I need you. I need your help to build in me, to grow in me a love of the gospel that manifests itself in the love of the local church and the discipleship of others. That we would charge one another out of love. The pure heart. Clean consciences. Sincere faith the glory of God and the building of his kingdom among his people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.